0: Welcome to King's River Life's Mystery Rats Maze podcast, where we share with you mystery short stories and first chapters of mystery novels read by local actors. Now, this episode features the first chapter of They Tell Me You Are Cunning by David Haggerty. It's read by local actor Thomas Nance. They Tell Me You Are Cunning was published by Evolved Publishing in June of 2019. The cold forecasted everything.
1: That was to come. When Mark and Eleanor Mulvaney returned to their condo from an excursion downtown, they felt Chicago's chill and checked, the draught penetrating even their winter coats. The entry hall of their unit offered no more relief than the anteroom to the building downstairs, with its single-pane window and the loosely framed door. Wait here, Mark said. Or stoke the super. The boiler in their building had worked erratically of late, faltering as soon as the snow began. They'd complained to the manager several times already, but the maintenance man said that it was just the pilot light blowing out. He kept odd hours, up all night and asleep during the day when they needed him. As reliable as the weather. It's late. Let's not disturb anyone said Eleanor. We're customers. We deserve good service. Mark turned to descend the two staircases they'd just climbed. As he reached for the door handle, a gust of cold surprised him. Did you leave a window open? She gave him a look, implying that he was being snotty, then raised the collar of her thin coat. Why would I do that? That night... She had insisted on wearing something frilly and fashionable that she'd just bought at Marshall Fields instead of her warm but lumpy down jacket, like they were destined for the red carpet. To his mind, retirement meant never having to dress up again, and he didn't plan to spend the evening bundled in his camel hair coat, the one vestige of his professional wardrobe, nor to sleep through his wife's shivering. Perhaps one of their children had come to visit and left a window unlatched. The son held keys in case his parents ever took sick. As a teen, he'd been flaky and distracted, incapable of even taking out the trash prior to collection day, but since fathering children of his own, he'd learned to attend to details. The daughter, the chatterbox, could talk anyone into letting her in except The coat rack sat empty, and the boot tray still dry. He opened the door to the powder room, but saw all the casements shut and bolted. Outside, the L screeched past, so loud that it could have stopped on their back porch. Living a block from the tracks, he'd become deaf to the noise, but this overpowered all other sounds. Only a few hours before, they had locked up the apartment and taken the train downtown to see Glengarry Glen Ross, David Mamet's new play, which was getting such rabid reviews. Truth was, Eleanor had dragged Mark to it. She said as a former audio salesman, he would relate. Why pay money to see what I lived for forty years, he said. To surprise, he loved the conniving, posturing, the backstabbing. She complained that it was too profane, too cynical. His co-workers didn't speak like that. "'You never heard how they talked to each other,' he said. The thought spurred him to check the front room and his own sound system, which took up an entire wall. Thirty years out of date, with vacuum tubes and turntables— hardly high-end compared to the CD players and subwoofers his customers wanted. Still, he felt a sentimental attachment to his old unit, even if it rarely rattled the walls any longer. It reminded him of his early days at Pacific Stereo, before the arrival of the big box stores, when he spent hours talking to other audiophiles. The equipment appeared, as always, with thousands of records that surrounded it still in order, the out-of-print jazz albums segregated from the mono-symphonic LPs. The furniture also looked as usual, the old couch dating from their wedding and the recliner he'd received on his retirement. Hardly proof of their security now, since it would take a team to carry them down the switchbacks Of the stairwell. Beyond the front window, a dog barked and a snowplow beeped, but inside the apartment he heard nothing. It felt warmer up front, too, less draughty. Until recently, Wrigleyville offered streets safe enough that Eleanor could walk through Graceland Cemetery unescorted. Even returning from the L after dark, he didn't worry. Yuppies had infiltrated the neighborhood, fixing up gray stones and driving up the prices. Except in the past six months, some other tenants in his building had reported items missing from the basement. Bikes and clothes they'd left in storage. Some blamed the bleacher bums, those Chicago faithful who'd spent 40 years awaiting a pennant. Now and again, One who'd adhered to the three-beer minimum would stumble onto their block, having misplaced his park-gar. With Wrigley Field only a short walk away, many locals suffered throughout the seasonal appearance of garbage and urine on their door stoops. Rather than complain to Chicago's finest, who patrolled the streets only when called, and then belatedly, Mark had joined the crowd. After so many years of catching only a game or two, he splurged on season tickets. For a change, the fans felt some optimism with Larry Boa, Bill Buckner, and Leon Durham anchoring the middle of the order, plus the newcomer Ryan Sandberg at second. Only spring training wouldn't begin for two months. He turned on the hall light and started a slow walk to the rear of the apartment, the wood floors creaking with each step. As he advanced, the temperature seemed to drop, like he was playing that game with his grandchildren. You're getting warmer. Except the poles reversed. Odd. With all the electronics in the home, he made it a point to bolt all the windows before he'd left, Even though it would take Spider Man to access them along the third story. Lately, though, his memory had failed him, with objects going missing or turning up misplaced. He checked his office where a saxophone leaned in the corner. After forty years of silence, he planned to take up jazz again in his retirement. Thus far, he'd only picked it up a few times, unable to recall more than the major scales and reluctant to share his faltering first notes with the neighbors. Another sight stopped him. An original Edison gramophone, which he'd been restoring, the wood case stripped and stained, the brass horn polished. All it lacked to make it sing again were a new belt and stylus. Surely a burglar would have taken that first. Again, he checked the windows behind the blinds, but found everything sealed tight. On the opposite side of the hall lay the kitchen, which sat dark and empty. A tray of cupcakes rested on the counter, redolent of poppy seeds and orange zest, awaiting the distribution to the local library where Eleanor volunteered. Certainly cooled by now. However, the rear door leading to the fire escape sat ajar, with a spray of dead leaves across the floor. That, explained the draft, he paused to study the room. Nothing else appeared out of place. The pots and pans resting on the stove, the macrame plant hangers above the sink. So he examined the door. Up close, the lock looked undamaged. Perhaps they had neglected to close it. "'You left the back door open,' he shouted to his wife. "'I don't think so,' she said. He walked toward the master bedroom to remove his shoes, but paused on hearing a conversation, faint and crackling, in some language he didn't know. It sounded more like a recording than live people. Possibly sounds from outside.' Then a slim light distracted him, reflecting off something on his dresser as the sun would off water. He thought he saw a silver plated comb and brush set that his parents had given him on the birth of their first child. Only Mark had retired it to their bottom drawer years ago, a forgotten memento. A second later, the ray shone directly into his eyes, blinding him, although in his memory he pictured the outline of a tall, slim man, standing by the bed frame. "'Stop,' said a thin voice. Something about the tone, a scratchy resonance, rang familiar. "'What are you doing here?' Mark said. The man hesitated, then the light extinguished. In the near dark, Mark heard steps advancing towards him, then saw the moonlight glint off something in the man's hand as he raised it overhead.
0: This reading of They Tell Me You Are Cunning was produced by King's River Life and directed by Lori Lewis Ham. This book is available for purchase. You can learn more about David Haggerty on his website, davidhaggerty.net. Our theme song, The Blues, was written and played by Kevin Memley. Check out King's River Life magazine's websites for more mystery, local theater, animal rescue, and so much more, kingsriverlife.com and krlnews.com. Now, we'll be back next time with another mystery short story or mystery first chapter. Subscribe to our podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode, and follow us on Twitter to keep up with everything KRL at Kings River Life. If you enjoy this episode, please rate or review it because this helps make us easier to find. Until next time, this is your announcer, Jim Tuck, wishing you a life full of mystery.